Welcome to the Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast, Hyphenation. I'm your host, Kellen Conley. Uh, so, summer's over. It's going to be cold and snow will be here again. 77 degrees right now. Driving around Morgantown, West Virginia. The world's greatest podcast is also the world's greatest mobile podcast. Well, at least my version is. Uh, we try to do a mobile lemon in the fro. Keep calling it lemon in the fro. Lemon on the edge. Uh, a few weeks back when we went that uh, went to Berea for Brown's training camp, and it was very loud. And that was a arduous task of editing that episode. But here we are again, world's greatest podcast, greatest mobile podcast. Episode 73. For those of you that don't know, 1973 was the year that New York Knickerbockers won their second NBA championship, led by Walt Clyde Frazier and Willis Reed and Dave the Busher and a guy named Earl the Pearl Monroe. So you're welcome for that tidbit of factual knowledge. So we're going to jump right into it. And... No ranting about traffic, anything like that. Everything's been very smooth so far today. I can't complain. Or construction. A few months back, actually, it might have been over a year ago or so, I was listening to the second season of Serial. Uh, That season is not the one about the murder trial. Um, I haven't finished that one. That's the most popular podcast of all time, until this one. But Serial season one was about the murder trial, and uh, they covered that. Season two was about Bo Bergdahl and how he was captured by the Taliban in, I don't know, the mid-2000s, something like that. And pretty much how he escaped and what was done trying to find him and how he went AWOL and why he was captured. And while some don't like Serial Season 2 compared to Serial Season 1, Season 2 really captured my imagination. So what they had done, did before they, uh, before they, uh, finished up that season, I think, was they had done a little preview or something that said, hey, we have another podcast coming out. It's called S-Town. It's going to start this day or whatever, and we hope you check it out. So, me being the podcast connoisseur that I am, I checked it out. And it took me a while, obviously, because I'm always behind when it comes to new stuff. It came out in 2017. I didn't listen to it till, pretty sure it was earlier this year. I think it was around March or so when I listened to it. And I wasn't sure what to expect from S-Town. I'm, I mean, you really didn't know that much about going in, because... The whole idea that it's built on, and I don't have the uh, synopsis of the first episode in front of me, but the whole idea going in is that 
this reporter, Brian Reed, who is our host throughout the throughout the season of S Town, the only season of S Town, I believe. The whole idea is that Brian Reed has went to a town in Alabama called Woodstock to investigate this murder that a gentleman in Woodstock, Alabama, believes has been covered up in Bibb County, Alabama. Uh, so he goes down there to investigate. And what he finds out is what he discovers really captured my attention and my imagination. John Brooks McLemore is a horologist. He fix, fixes clocks for a living. And if you ever if you're going to listen to it, you if you hear this, you're like, man, I think I want to check out that sound. Here's your warning. Spoilers. I'm going in. So he's a horologist. Uh, he's 40. He was four. Let's see. He's 49 by the time uh, 2015 came around. So he contacted Brian in 2012. So he's 46 years old. And when he first reached out to the show, to Brian, to This American Life about this murder. And they start com- conversing on the phone. And John B., He's, I'm going to say it right now, he's your typical southern man, except with a twist. He worries about climate change. He worries about our natural resources running out. He worries about uh, the state of the world. And this is in 2012 when it started, so Barack was still in office. No one ever dreamed that Donald was going to get in office. He, He worries about how people are acting towards each other and how we view one another. He has a lot of anxiety about things he can't control. But he said what had happened was Jake Goodson, a friend of his, is married to Skylar Goodson. And Cabram, uh, I can't remember old boy's name. Damn, I was doing so well. Cabram Burt said to Skyler and Jake at a Little Caesars about how he had kicked the shit out of a dude and he messed him up real bad and he thought he was dead. And yeah, here's Cabram walking around, no problems. Okay? So everybody's super confused by that. So John thinks that because the Burt family owns a lot of Woodstock, Alabama, or Shittown, which is why the, the podcast is called S-Town, because John B. calls Woodstock Shittown. He thinks that the corrupted police and the Burt family has covered up this murder that Cabram committed, and somebody needs to come down here and find the truth. So this is what was told to Skyler and Jake. So after several phone conversations... Brian leaves New York, leaves his fiance, and this is irrelevant, but he, he is dating uh, a woman named Solange when this starts. He ends up marrying this woman named Solange. Not Beyonce Solange, but still. And he was going from New York City down to Woodstock, Alabama. And she said, before you go, make your Instagram and your Facebook private. Because you don't want to go down there and have the wrong people seeing me or anything else and it hampering everything you're trying to do. 
Brian heads down to Alabama to meet with John B. McLemore for the first time after several months of phone conversations to attempt to get to the bottom of this said murder that no one is taking seriously down there. So him and John uh, get together. John shows him the house. Uh, he has his 140 acres, I believe, with this house built on it. That was um, it was his mother's, Mary Grace's, who he lives with. Um, he has this wonderful hedge maze that he has built on it. And I think there are, I think, 25 solutions is what it was. And then there's one one way that you could actually not find your way out. The hedge maze wasn't tall enough for you to actually get really lost, though. It was like maybe waist high. So you could easily walk your way out of there. But when it got to um, maturation, when it got higher, obviously it's going to be a real problem for the hedge maze. Shows him the hedge maze, takes him around shit town. He meets Mary Grace, Brian does. They go... Uh, to a tattoo parlor. The tattoo parlor is owned by Jake's brother, Tyler Goodson, and his business partner, Bubba, I believe. And I just re-listened to this, so that's why everything sounds crispy. I'm not doing podcasts in one-on-one right now. And uh, while they're in the uh, tattoo parlor, um, uh, they, they, uh, the gentlemen are talking, and they think that Cabram murdered a dude and they're like oh well Cabram comes in here all the time you should just ask him and Brian's like I'm not going to roll up on some guy and just ask him if he murdered somebody you know I mean that's not what we're, we're here for I mean obviously he want, he's really looking for Jake Goodson because Jake is the one who told uh, John B about this murder and they can't find Jake for nothing can't find him anywhere then, then, when Brian attempts to go to the library with John B. to research things and look in the news around the time of this murder to see if anything was reported about it, John is very distracted. He, he's not attempting to really help anymore. Because for the amount of time they spent on the phone talking about everything that had happened was there's something laying in the road wow that's interesting uh like this was the whole reason he was coming down now brian and john developed a friendship over the phone and he learned things about john but at the same time that was the cause like i'm going to go down here and try to find out about this murder that happened John B's avoiding everything when he's down there. They can't find Jake. And then finally, while he is at John's house, they go to John's workshop. It's a garage, essentially, off the side of the house, I believe, where John normally would work on his clocks or just any kind of work that he had done. John would do it in his garage. Tyler Goodson was there sharpening a chainsaw blade. <coughs> Tyler does work for John around the the land, around the property, and John and John pays him for work. That that's their relationship, at least at this point. 
We later learned that Tyler and John were actually very good friends. And John giving him this work was more for John to be able to help Tyler out with just money he needed and things like that. One day, and I don't know if it was the same day, but John did this process where he took a dime of Brian's and gold plated it with dangerous chemicals right there in the garage while he's drinking wild turkey, while Tyler's drinking wild turkey, sharpening a chainsaw. But at some point, I think they had moved back in the house. Some point, Skylar Goodson comes in, who is Jake's wife, who also heard this accounting of this murder. So, from there, Skylar recounts everything that John B. said. John B. is beaming, because he's like, I told you, I ain't crazy. So from there, we have uh, another accounting of the events that happened. So Brian continues to dig deeper into this. And eventually, he is able to talk to Cabram Burt about what happened. Now, the story goes that the guy who had been murdered, um, and I'm going to look up his name real quick. Dylan Nichols was the name of the gentleman who was supposedly murdered. Story goes that Dylan had attacked Jake and his, or Cabram and his friends, and then they proceeded to just beat the ever-loving hell out of him and killed him. And nothing ever happened as far as justice goes. Okay. Once he actually talks to Cabram, Brian finds out that Dylan attacked drunk or something don't quote me, attacked his friend with a weapon and kind of nicked his throat. Like, he didn't slash his throat and kill his friend or anything, but it was serious enough where it's like, yo, you just attacked my buddy with a, a, a knife. And so, Cabram and his friends responded by beating the shit out of him, but they didn't kill him. They gave him an ass whooping, but they didn't kill him, and that was kind of the end of it. Which is why nothing ever really came of it as far as anybody investigating it, anything like that. Dylan Nichols is still alive to this day. There is nobody. Uh, I mean, there, there's no, well, literally, there's nobody. Dylan Nichols is fine. So after all these conversations with John B. and coming down to Woodstock, Alabama, and then getting to the bottom of the mystery... Brian goes back to John B. and is like, hey, this is what actually happened. I talked to Cabram. Dylan Nichols is alive. So whatever Dylan had, or Cabram had said to Skyler and Jake that night at Little Caesars, he had fabricated it maybe a little bit, embellished a little bit, but there's nothing to see here. So there's no murder. And instead of John B. being... Super happy, John B. Uh, what's his song? Don't listen to what people say. I'm on the curb about you and me. Put it out your mind, cause it's jealousy. They don't know about this here. John B. isn't happy. Uh, he, he just goes into... I hate shit town and I hate everything about it and what it's doing to good people here and what it's going to do to people like Tyler who never had a fair shake at life 
and everything like that. And even though this isn't actually a murder, there's so much shit wrong here. And with the world that this doesn't satisfy me. I'm glad the man, the boy's not murdered, but at the same time, there's more issues that really need to be dealt with, so to speak. There, there's bigger fish to fry than what you're seeing here is essentially what he ends up saying to Brian. So, Br Brian has since, especially after John wasn't as helpful when he actually made the trip to S-Town, John, or Brian has since decided he's going to switch gears and instead of doing a story about this unresolved murder in Woodstock, Alabama, he's going to be doing a profile on this eccentric gentleman, John B. McLemore. And so... Him and John have formed a bond at this point. They're friends. They talk on the phone regularly. They John emails them all the time. These huge manifestos that he's typed up about climate change and put together and and all these things around the world and and these animals are dying off and all this, that, and the third. Essentially. John B. Is, an, is a tortured genius, is what it is. He's a genius who very rarely got to show off his genius, other than with his clockwork. And he just never left. And he, he mentions this in early episodes. He mentions, I should have got out of shit town years ago, and I just never did. Because the only thing keeping him there really is the property, which he keeps up, and his mother, Mary Grace, who he says suffers from early onset, or not earlier onset, she's like almost 90 at the time that he meets him, meets her and meets John B., Brian. She suffers from Alzheimer's. He just could never pull himself out of that uh, what, what am I trying to say? He could never pull himself out of that world. He just stayed at home, took care of mama, and went about his business. And according to what John has said to Jake and Tyler and friends, John B. is loaded. Well, he's never come out and say I'm rich, but... There's never been an instance where John B. is lacking funds. He believes that that U.S. dollar is going to fail and the economy is going to fail. So apparently he has all this gold that he has and he has hidden it on his property. Also, John B. has gone above and beyond for Tyler and his, his family. And it's even gotten to the point where... John B. would keep a ledger of kind of what he was paying out and what he had coming in for different things. John B. cared so much about Tyler and Jake, mostly Tyler, succeeding despite the odds against him that he was even keeping track of Tyler's bills. And then rather than him just saying, hey, Tyler, let me give you this handout so you can keep up with your bills since you have... Uh, I think he had three kids at the time of the show. I think he has four now. Since you have children 
and you're trying to make it in shit town Alabama let me give you this handout he would go to the tattoo shop and John would talk shit about everybody in that tattoo shop and how they weren't shit and they were all failures because they're all their all their tattoos but John B would go to this tattoo shop he let Tyler or Bubba tattoo him and then pay them and he would do this regularly just so that he could help pay Tyler's bills. And so John is taking care of Mary Grace, his mother, taking care of Tyler, his best friend slash uh, surrogate son, so to speak. <sighs> um... And this is John's life. And then he reached out to Brian Reed. And now Brian and him have developed this relationship. So Brian has returned home to New York and is working on his story. And John had emailed him a few days earlier. And he didn't get a chance to read it. Because when John emails, they're very lengthy emails. And he he had kind of skimmed it. But he hadn't sat down to read it. Brian gets a call from Skyler, the same Skyler Goodson who told him, who corroborated John's story about uh, the murder. And she's like, hey, um, how are you? And he's like, oh, I'm good, Skyler. How are you? He's like, and she's like, have you heard anything, from, um, heard the news or anything like that? And Brian's like, no, I've been really busy. What's going on? And she says, John B. killed himself last night. This is 2015. A three-year relationship that he had built with John. Thrown away in an instant. Not that that was John's intention. See, John B. was very depressed. And while... If Brian ever captured any of those periods on audio he didn't he didn't play them but John B would frequently mention that he was depressed and that's why he'd been out of touch touched why he'd been out of touch and that's why uh, he wasn't talking because John B just frequently battled depression and suicidal thoughts and many times between Tyler and between a woman named Faye Gamble who's the Woodstock town clerk and just between other acquaintances, Jake, Skyler, many times, John B. had to be talked down from killing himself because he was so depressed. Because in John B.'s mind, in John B.'s mind, I, I don't even know. He was so tortured. And I'll get into reasons why he may have been tortured as we go on. So Brian is obviously upset. His friend has murdered himself by drinking potassium cyanide that he mixed himself because John was brilliant. John drank the cyanide, 
while on the phone with the aforementioned Faye Gamble, who listened to John B. die on her phone. Yeah. Now, before I go on, I did, after listening to this a few episodes, I did think maybe this is just a story. But considering it comes from This American Life and um, Serial, and I feel like, is This American Life connected to, let's see... Um, I was thinking they were connected to um, NPR, but it, it's a public radio show that, like, that, I mean, obviously radio can be made up, but this story sounds so fantastic that it sounds like it's made up. Like, these are just characters playing roles and stuff. It sounds like an audio drama. It plays like an audio drama. But I promise you it's all real. Brian is upset. He goes back down to Woodstock to attend the funeral. And I don't recall at some point Tyler Goodson and Brian start talking because Tyler knew Brian from John. They had started a relationship. I mean, it had been three years at this point. So I'd say that if John and Brian were friends and Tyler and Brian started out as acquaintances who trusted each other. Tyler trusted Brian was the main thing. Brian's a journalist. (coughs) So Brian goes to Woodstock and at some point he talks to Tyler. And Tyler said by the time what had happened is he had been with John B. the night before he killed himself. And the day before, uh, they had went down to the river. They've been hanging out. They had drank a little bit. And then he took uh, uh, John home. John wanted him to hang out some more. Tyler's new girlfriend insisted to Tyler that he stop caving when John uh, makes these grand threats about I'm going to kill myself and Please don't leave. Stay here with me. John was very clingy to Tyler. John was the kind of guy where he would develop relationships with people and then only want that person to himself. So he wouldn't want to necessarily share Tyler with his girlfriend. Kids are fine to a degree. He wouldn't want to share... um, his uh, good friend, he, he like when Woodstock first formed in like the 80s or something. I, I forget exactly how it goes. He had been working closely with uh, city management to kind of get the town going. Maybe it was the 70s and really make it um, their own little town and make it the best town they could. He had made close acquaintances with a, a lady, with a woman. And they were really good friends until she started dating her eventual husband, Jeff Dodson. I can't, her uh, her name's not listed, but she was a part of the story, came in later. And then eventually, she was, uh, he was always trying to spend time with just her. He never liked the husband. And then eventually, they went into business together. And then John ended up kind of sinking the whole business over the fact that, over some petty shit, 
and kind of ruin their sabotage their whole friendship because John just could not handle anybody else invading on his time with a person he wanted to spend time with. So so Tyler was like, I'm not going back over there. I'll see him in the morning. It's late. Um, I'm home with the kids. I'm not going back over there. John does this all the time and threatens suicide. It'll be fine. I'm going to listen to my girlfriend. He woke up the next morning and John was dead. Now, (coughs) from there, Tyler says he went over to the house. Or he, I think he went to go see Mary Grace first at the hospital. Because uh, obviously John had killed himself. I don't know if Mary Grace had found him first. But Faye obviously heard him die on the phone. So the police came. They took Mary Grace to the hospital. I can't remember if Tyler went to the hospital first or what had happened. But no, wait. He went to uh, John's house and locked everything up because... Uh, he, I mean, he was close enough to John where he had keys and he padlocked things and just locked up the house. And then he went to the hospital or he went about his business. He gets a call from, I don't remember if it was the actual cousin or not, but Mary Grace and John's cousins, Rita Lawrence and Charlie Lawrence, her husband, show up at Mary Grace's house and they want to get in the house. And... I can't. I don't know who else is at the hospital with Mary Grace, but Tyler at some point was on the phone with Mary Grace, and she's at the hospital. That's John's mom, and she says, "Hey, your cousins are at the house, and they they want to be let in. I'm going to go let them in. Do you want me to?" And she says, "No, don't let them in my house because they haven't come to see me yet." Which Tyler is like, "That's messed up. That they didn't come see his mother after he killed himself." <sighs> um. So Tyler goes to the house, tells the police officer and the cousin is not letting them in. And according to Tyler, they called an attitude and they got all mad. Then they went to the hospital and then they put on a big show for Mary Grace about how um, they're so sorry about John and all of this. And Tyler says it's just a big show. And he thinks that the cousins are there to get John's money that he said off and on that he had hidden around the house because they all think he's loaded. I don't know if the cousins did, but uh, Tyler and his friends around Shittown definitely thought John was loaded. So Tyler's plan was he was going to take Mary Grace back to the house and he was going to he was going to take care of her. Well, that didn't happen. According to Tyler, the cousins were preventing him from seeing Mary Grace anymore. And that's kind of where Brian picks up when he gets there for the funeral. They attend the funeral he finds it weird that John, who is an atheist, has a very religious funeral, and somebody who doesn't even know him presides over the arrangements, and you know how that goes when the loved one passes, and then fortunately they're older, or they, they just don't have that connection with the church, and then someone who doesn't know them has to do the service, and it's just like, man, this doesn't feel right. It was something like that. So... Tyler had went over to say something to Mary Grace after the funeral, and then he claimed that the cousins, Rita and Charlie, pulled, um, shut up, Google Assistant, pulled Mary Grace away, and then they were going back to somewhere to kind of have a 
I suppose a reception after the funeral. I don't know what you call it after a funeral. Where everybody's gathered, has food, and reminisces. Tyler said he didn't feel welcome at that. So Tyler and Brian go back to Tyler's grandmother's house where they have their own little memorial service for John. And that's where Brian meets more of Tyler's family and all of this. And Tyler's not sure, like, what happened. Feel like the cousins are trying to tear him and Mary Grace apart. And so everything's up in the air, essentially. The main thing Tyler starts talking about here is how he has stuff at John's house. Tools and property and uh, wood that he's planning on building a house with and trailers and buses and stuff that's on John's property that he has to go get. Well, according to the law, uh, the cousins and Mary Grace are now are obviously in charge of all that stuff. Tyler can't get his stuff. And according to Tyler, they start selling some of his stuff off. Now, to make a long story short about this, because I'm talking a lot and I'm not trying to tell you every detail, because I would, I do think if you check this out, you'll really like it. Essentially, Tyler's putting the cousins, saying out the cousins are out to get him. Brian eventually starts a, a developing a con, uh, relationship with Rita, the cousin, and starts getting her side of things. She's saying that she never wanted to stop Tyler and Mary Grace from talking, but then uh, legally they wouldn't release her to Mary Grace to Tyler's care because they weren't next to Ken. That would be Rita. And then, honestly, she just didn't trust Tyler. And apparently things were coming up missing in the house. And Tyler is on record um, with Brian on these episodes saying that he's taking things from the house. He mentioned John's laptop. Some of the things Rita list is John's laptop and uh, Mary Grace's purse. Like the morning, the morning after John B.'s death, she says Mary B. Uh, Mary Grace's purse is gone. She couldn't find it. No checkbook. So it goes on like this for a little bit, where it's Rita's side versus Tyler's side. Tyler eventually goes on John's property and takes things that he claims are his. He even goes so far to sell two of John's vehicles after his death and forges John's name on the titles of the vehicles. Obviously, John passed months before. Uh, the, R- Rita and Charlie are able to recover one vehicle. I don't think they got back to Mercedes, though. Uh, Tyler's in and out of court anyway for different things uh, throughout this. And then... Once he starts trespassing and taking things without permission, then the cousins start bringing charges against him <coughs> for everything else. And the whole time, Tyler and and Brian are having conversations, are having conversations about this, about uh, what's going on down there. And then Brian's getting read aside when he goes down to investigate some more in person. So it's essentially boiled down to a he said, she said with between those two, between Tyler and Rita. Mary Grace apparently was not being taken care of the best by John. So once 
she gets proper health care. She actually, I believe she leaves the house and ends up living with some other relatives somewhere else. She gets her vitality back. She goes on trips to Gatlinburg. She's more coherent. Turns out she just has dementia and not uh, Alzheimer's, like uh, John had said. And she actually is almost better off without Tyler. Or no, without Tyler. Well, yeah, without Tyler. And then John, because she's getting the health care that she actually needs. So Mary Grace's story kind of ends there. Brian keeps dwelling deeper into the character that is John B. McLemore. Trying to figure out who he was. And we kind of learn about John's past, how he went to school, like, uh, or went to college, made, was really close friends with a professor there. Professor says John was brilliant, but he only cared about what he cared about. So once he found a subject that he liked, he would just dive into it, but then kind of shun everything else. So he was never great at school, ended up not staying in. But he was the one of the most brilliant clock makers, workers, horologists that he had ever seen. And from there, Brian discovers there's a list that John B. had sent to the clerk, Faye Gamble, of people to contact. I think it was an event of his passing. Now, John had mentioned to Brian earlier when in the earlier conversations about having a will. Well, it turns out when John killed himself, there was no will. So there was nobody to really properly get his belongings or whatever he wanted to leave behind. He had said he wanted to leave uh, gold and property to Tyler and Jake. He had wanted to leave the house and everything to them and the land. He wanted to give them something they could actually build a life on. But there is no will. So this list had didn't have Tyler's name on it, didn't have Jake's name, had four or five different horologist friends that John had made. People who he had relationships with up until the day he died. And none of them, almost none of them, were contacted about his death, even though he gave the list to Faye previously in the event of my death, contact these people. And most of them were not contacted until after he had already been whoops, until after he'd already been buried. So some of his closest friends in life who he wanted to know of his passing didn't know he had even died. Until it was too late. <coughs> and some of them suspected foul play. Right off the bat. Like something's up. This doesn't sound right. You gotta look into this Brian. There, there's some, Something's going on. And not necessarily with John's death. That's pretty cut and dry. They did an autopsy. He drank the potassium cyanide. But they feel like there was just something else at work between that had to do with Tyler or the cousins just not coming out right with all the dealings that happened after 
John's death. So Brian digs a little deeper. He discovers another gentleman who is similar to Tyler, who John had mentioned in one of their conversations. That John apparently likes to help lost causes, and I can't think of his name, but he was just like Tyler. And last I heard, he's paying, he has a one room apartment in New York, he's paying too much for, and he's with some uh, foreign girl there. And I haven't heard from him since. Since he's in New York, Tyler tracks him down. Brian tracks him down, I'm sorry. And they have a conversation, and true to John's word, he was fucking up a lot in that in shit town. But something that John didn't know, John actually saved him from self-destruction. Just by being there and helping him and giving him a place to sleep when he needed it. He made a huge impact on his life. And so he he eventually packed up, left shit town, and now has a, she might be 10 years old at this point, nine years old, beautiful little girl, and is married to that same foreign girl. And they have a gorgeous apartment in New York City, in Manhattan. And John McLemore helped him. But John thought he was loved. John thought he couldn't help him. And he thought Tyler was another lost cause. I don't remember exactly how we got here, but John John frequently mentioned that he's a semi a semi homosexual man. He would say he's like eighty five percent, seventy percent some homosexual, but for all intents and purposes, he was a gay man living in the South in a predominantly white redneck region. A place that Brian even mentions when the same-sex laws, uh, marriage laws passed a few years ago. They weren't even issuing marriage licenses to gay couples. Hell, they might still not be. I don't know if they still are or not, but I mean, who knows what's possible with uh, you-know-who at the helm. But Brian ends up talking to someone who supposedly John had a friendship with. And there was relations, but the man was also closeted. He's actually married. And he says, nothing happened. But from there, Brian tracks down, I really wish I could think of his name. I'm going to have to Google it because I feel like it's important that we use his name here. Uh, Olin. Okay. In chapter six, we meet a gentleman named Olin Long. And I don't know if his, I'm sure his name may have been changed. Um, and, and he actually got this, he, he, uh, he got the email from Olin. Brian did on the night of his wedding saying that him and John had been friends and, he wasn't on John's contact list. But Olin and John actually met on a, but like in 2003, via a phone dating service. And they started talking on the phone. And they, they talked just like him and Brian talked for years on the phone before they, before 
only made the drive down to shit town. And that was the closest to a romantic relationship that John ever really had. Apparently, when John was younger, he had met a man who had helped him come out of the closet. He came out to his mother and his mother ignored him. John B. did. They had had sexual experiences. But it was just sex. But then... I think there's another guy. There is another gentleman who John had met and had actually fallen for, but he ghosted him. And it broke John's heart. Olin and John developed a deep connection. They were truly friends. And they were everything but actual lovers. Um, Olin had... Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm trying. No, I'm not gonna read this. All they had developed this friendship. They were really good friends. They talked all the time. They they would, he would go and see him. Down in shit town. And at one point, Brokeback Mountain came out, and Olin absolutely loved it. He loved the whole story. He loved the book. One of his favorite movies of all time and he tried to share it with John and John's like well that that's bullshit blah 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 and so John actually gave him such a berating about it that he actually um, was offended and didn't talk to John for a while but then after he forgave him Olin did after Olin forgave John they started talking about it again and since John didn't have any TV or cable or anything like that, Olin actually started, uh, sent him the book. And John loved the book. They bonded over their friendship and then broke back, brought them even closer together. But then John B. would make comments to him when they're having conversations about how they could never live together, how they could never be together because he's a certain way. Yada, yada, yada. And Olin even mentions an intimate moment where he had wanted, he had found John B. to be quite attractive in a moment, and he had wanted to touch him and kiss him. And he didn't, and he wishes he had in hindsight, only because he can't, he'll never have the chance now again, and he loved John. The end of their talking, they never officially had a, like a breakup or kind of like a I'm done with you kind of thing. What had happened was over the course of their friendship, John became more obsessed with climate change and resources dying and shit town. <laughs> and Olin told him, he's like, John, I can't listen to you talk about shit town anymore. You got to get out of there. This is dominating your whole life. You have to leave. And John just went on this tirade against them. Like, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said some hurtful shit to Olin. And Olin responded back. He's like, if you're going to continue to talk to me like that, then I don't think we need to talk anymore. I don't appreciate that, John. I don't think he's... He didn't say don't talk to me anymore, but he just said... I don't want to talk, be talked to that way. 
And essentially, John did give some kind of form of apology. But then after that, they just hadn't talked in a while. Olin said that he didn't think he would... He, he wasn't at the point where he didn't think he'd ever talk to John again. But now that he didn't, wouldn't have the chance again, he was very sad. So... From there... Just to kind of wrap things up about what's happened since. The podcast came out in 2017. Since then, Tyler's gained a little bit of notoriety. Uh, People have flocked. I don't know about flocked, but people have really taken to this story and have done their own investigations, been to Woodstock, put Woodstock on the map for all the wrong things. Everybody in Shittown hates the fact that this happened. Uh, John B's estate is actually suing in the process right now of suing the producers and the makers of S-Town, including Brian, I believe, for what happened. I mean, for putting this out, because they said all the things you revealed, you didn't have John's consent to do because John was dead and you're exploiting him to get essentially a Peabody Award. Tyler hates it. I just read a quote before I started this about... It's how awful it is being famous without the rich part. Tyler pleaded guilty to one of the um, charges against him. And he has like six years probation with a 10 year suspended sentence. So he's still out of jail. But one slip up. He's going to prison just like John B. always said he would end up. Brian asked Faye Gamble why she didn't called her name sooner and she said she did Rita and Charlie ended up selling the house to Cabram Bird's father who actually um is just kind of letting it sit there be run down he's letting the maze die and everything else Mary Grace is living with family now. I don't know if she's passed or not. I didn't look into it. But it's just a a fascinating story. And what it comes down to, John B. McLemore was brilliant, but he also lived in Shittown, Alabama, and he never left. He never expanded his, his wings the same time he was able to reach beyond little shit town and make connections meaningful connections with people that would last until the day he died and even beyond there's a process that John used that involved mercury and essentially one of the things that especially after you hear Owen's story one of the things that you kind of think is oh man uh, you're, you're led to believe is John B possibly had mercury poisoning because he would always use his mercury process when he was working on clocks and he was never safe about it they think the fumes from the mercury made him go a little crazy if you listen to Olin's story he says John changed over the course of their friendship relationship and he thinks it has something to do with it and that's why John turned to depression and everything else. But John's in the ground and 
uh, Cabram Bird's father would not let Brian go test John's workshop for mercury, so we'll never know. <coughs> he was a homosexual man in a region who hated him. But John B. is easily one of the most fascinating characters that I have heard of in recent memory. And he was a real guy. He didn't always do the right thing. He wasn't always great to women. He threw the N-word around. Not on the show. Brian didn't use it. But he said that he, he would make mention of black people being murdered by police. But at the same time, turn around and say the N-word. So he's conflicted. He's conflicted about his sexuality. He's conflicted about his relationship with black people. With... Hell, he's conflicted about how he felt about homosexuality because he wouldn't even say he was fully gay. I mean, his, his own mother didn't even embrace him or the fact that he was gay. I mean, he was on his own. He never truly had a romantic relationship. I don't know. I'm not trying to say, oh my goodness, like John... Macklemore is a wonderful person or anything like that. That's not my intention. He had flaws. At the same time, he's quite fascinating. And if it wasn't enough for a New York journalist to be drugged down to Shittown, Alabama to do this story, if that wasn't enough, not only when the story didn't pan out, he stayed because of this fascinating individual he had met. If John hadn't killed himself, would he have actually signed off on S-Town happening? Would he want all that information out? Like John's estate now is trying to say, oh, well, he had said he wanted things off the record and, and Brian didn't keep them off the record. And then Brian and his team of lawyers are fighting back saying, well, I corroborated the story with people who were on the record. And I, I think at one point, John even, or Brian even says that he can't get John's consent because he's not here. Legally, should S Town have happened? Probably not. Not without permission. And I don't know if permission would have ever came so to speak, you know? I don't know. I don't think John's estate or... Because I don't think Mary Grace is like the administrator of his estate or anything, but whoever is, they're the one saying all these things about how it's brought all this unwanted attention to John and his life and I don't know, man. Like, the story I take away from John... At the, the end of the day, the thing I take away from John McLemore's story is we should celebrate being weird. We should embrace our weirdness. And John was never able to embrace his... the things that made him different. He tried, but because of his situation in his life... He just always 
ended up back at one. As far as the hidden money and whether John was loaded and everything like that, I will go on record as saying that Tyler Goodson did love John dearly. I believe that they had that they had a, a, a good friendship, relationship, whatever you want to call it. I truly do believe that that was a thing. That wasn't fabricated, anything like that. He now has a, a tattoo for John on his forearm. I just saw it when I was checking things out. So, I don't think that Tyler or their cousins were necessarily... Well, not Tyler. I don't think the cousins were trying to take um, advantage of John's death of Mary Grace... I feel like they kind of got thrust into the situation that they weren't expecting to be in and they just had to deal with the fallout. I don't know about the clerk not calling the people on John's list. That really bugs me. Faye Gamble, out of everything, he specifically gave you a list of people to contact and you were the last person to speak with him as far as we know. Because we don't know if Mary Grace actually found the body or not before the police got there. You were the last person to actually speak with John Brooks McLemore while he was alive. And you're telling me that you called all these people and yet people who have been lifelong, well not even lifelong, but longtime friends of John B's didn't get to go to his funeral because you didn't call. I have no doubt that John and Jake or Tyler and Jake Goodson were able to find any money that John McLemore had left lying around in the open. I don't think they ever got the chance to dig up anything because John had mentioned he buried things buried money and gold, but I do think that Tyler stole John's gold and maybe some money and maybe some Mary Grace's money. I just find John McLemore as a person in this story that was told on that town fascinating. Absolutely brilliant. So... That, that's the story of S-Town. I highly encourage you to check out the podcast yourself. It's seven chapters, uh, seven episodes. Check it out. And I, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did because I, I had re-listened to it. it. It's a tragic story. It's a sad story. It's another snapshot of depression in America that doesn't get enough notice. Could John McLemore be alive if Tyler went back over to the house? That night when he killed himself, could John and Olin had a relationship possibly? Did John have mercury poisoning? Did the cousins have anything to do with shady goings-ons after John's death? I don't know. That's just all the questions you're left wondering. Next topic. And I know that might have been one of the longest topics in... uh hyphenation history but I'm just gonna make this one quick so wanted to hang out with uh, Gary this weekend 
He was on episode 67. Hadn't seen him in a little bit. And he said, hey, um, I'm planning on going to West Virginia Pop Culture Con or West Virginia Pop Con. It's at Milan Park. Do you want to go check it out? I had heard of PopCon, obviously. I think this is the fourth or fifth year that they've done it now. And I never went. And he actually bought me a ticket and bought Angel and Aaliyah tickets. So me, him, Brandy, his wife, Angel and Aaliyah went down there and checked it out. It was at Milan Park in Morgantown. And technically, it was my first uh, comic convention experience. And it was pretty cool. I mean, I bought some comic books. Bought some uh, custom Lego figurines for which are pretty awesome. I got Bob Ross, Deadpool, and <laughs> I, I got Infinity War, Spider Man, and um, 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 60s, 66 Batman, uh, Adam West Batman, and I, I just got some cool stuff, man. I'm gonna take a picture of them soon. They're an angel's purse. I gotta get them out of there before something happens to them. Um, but they, they had uh, artists there signing or sketching. They had a, um, a video game section in the back. All these systems and consoles set up for you to play. Play a little Sonic 2. First time in ages I, I got to do that. Um, comic book stores were there. I, I got some books from New Dimension. No, not from New Dimension. Uh, I went through a dollar bin and ended up with four books there. And I ended up buying... Amazing Spider-Man 248, better known as the kid who collected Spider-Man, one of my favorite Spider-Man stories for six bucks. Uh, finally got that back in the collection. So that was cool. And I did that the second day because Gary thought he had bought two-day passes. And turns out he hadn't, but so he essentially got into the con for free on Sunday. So sorry. I thought about getting a sketch. Uh went up to Pat O'Leaf, if I'm saying his name right, right, he used to draw Untold Tales of Spider-Man and Spider-Girl. He's currently drawing the Scooby-Doo zombie series. Uh, that I forget what the actual title is called. Looks really interesting. He was selling... <coughs> excuse me. Selling prints for 20 that he already had done. And... Or 40, but I think it was between 40 and 20, just drawings he'd already done. Like, black and white was maybe 20, and the color ones were 40. If you wanted a sketch, it was 80. You know, that's what I wanted. I was like, oh, I'm not about to drop 80 bucks. Can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't tell him that. I was very polite. Um, lots of vendors there doing crafts. Saw my friend Mary Livingston selling her crafts, her crochet work. Um, it was really cool, man. And Sunday was even more packed, more cosplayers. We took Anthony that day. It was me, Anthony, and Gary on Sunday. Checked out some things. Saw, <laughs> saw uh, Nikki, Nikki Drake, who does morning radio here in Morgantown. And I may have mentioned her before when I was trashing morning radio horse, horse. <laughs> morning radio host around here before, which I've since apologized for. She does uh, the WVAQ morning show, Jack and Nikki in the morning. And uh, we, she happened to be in Disney same time as me, and so we ended up kind of having a, a one of those weird social media things where it's like you know each other online and y'all talk sometimes through comments, or I even messaged her about like some um, story she shared on Instagram and Facebook the other day. We were talking about that, but then you actually see her out in public, and this happened to me 
more recently with the her name was Mel Morace, and uh, now she's Mel Wilson. Gra- congratulations! So now you're listening to the world's greatest podcast. Congratulations to Mel and Tyler. Is that right, Tyler Wilson? It's got to be Tyler. Anyway, I ran into Mel at a football game, and I had been following her on Twitter for years, and we would have comments and retweets, blah, blah, blah. And I actually saw her, and it was super awkward. So it was kind of the same thing with Nikki, where it was just kind of like I was walking with Gary and Anthony, and I looked over, and I saw Nikki, and I had wanted to just be a quick little, she sees me, I'd be like, hey, Nikki. And she's like, hey, how are you? And it didn't have to be anything more than that. But then I said, hey, Nikki. She didn't hear me. So instead of me just leaving it and already being like, ah, well, that, was, that was awkward. I'm like, hey, Nikki. Hey, Nikki. And it took like three hey, Nikki's. She's like, oh, hey. No idea who I was. <laughs> I knew she wouldn't know who I was. I mean, we ain't, we ain't cool like that. We're cool. But we ain't friends like that. I just want to be like, hey, hey, Nikki. I acknowledge the fact you're here and I recognize you. And it turned into, hey, Nikki. Like, hey, Nikki. Hey, Nikki. Hey, Nikki! <sighs> Another great moment brought to you by Kellen B. Hyphen, Daniel Conley. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, PopCon was cool, though. Um, Anthony felt a little uncomfortable because he's like, there's cosplayers here. I'm like, dude, stop. It's fine. He's more of a sports guy. He's not really into too much nerd stuff, but I think he had a good time while he's hanging out. He always has a good time when he hangs out. That's why he's a wrestling fan now. Because he had a good time hanging out watching wrestling all those times. And that's it. Nothing more, nothing less, but the best. So please, if you like the world's greatest podcast, and I know you do, make sure that you support us on your favorite podcast device. Device podcast platform whether that be itunes google play music google podcast this episode is unofficially brought to you by radio public who i highly recommend uh like i said if you're an android user and you click an itunes link on your phone it will bring it up in radio public and you can listen to it immediately it's also really cool if you're on itunes if you want something other than apple the podcast app on itunes uh stitcher youtube.com slash be hyphen podcast uh, tune in app. Uh, who did I share recently? Player FM. If you Google hyphen nation podcast, you'll find, I think it, you can't miss it. Like all the, all the links are mine. If you want to Google me, if you uh, go to hyphen nation, no, sorry. If you go to hyphen podcast group.com. And of course this is a hyphen podcast group production. If you go to hyphen podcast group.com, go to the show's link, go to hyphen nation, Click that RSS feed. Put that some bitch into your favorite podcast listening device. You can even use feeds.feedburner.com slash hyphen nation 2016. Put that into your favorite podcast listening device. And you can get all 73 episodes of Fire! Just like that. Yeah. Rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you may do it. Tell a friend to tell a friend that it's them again. Nature Noriega while gremlins. What? Please, please do that. If you want to contact the show, be hyphen, B-H-Y-P-H-N at gmail.com. 
hyphen podcast group at gmail.com, hyphen pie group on Twitter, B hyphen on Twitter, hyphen universe on Facebook, and hyphen podcast group on Facebook. Also, the B hyphen on Instagram and hyphen podcast group on Instagram. All those ways you can reach out. Reach out. Reach out. I'm not going to mess up. I'll be there any more than I already did. So, power positivity is real. Get that negativity out of your life, no matter what it may be, no matter what you may have to do. You gotta do you. Most importantly, words of wisdom for today. Get healthy. I'm not saying go keto. I'm not saying alter, radically change your lifestyle. But let's all take steps to be healthier, man. Let's get more sleep, which I'm still not doing. Let's let's eat better. Let's enjoy our friendships more. Uh, our relationships more. Spend time with loved ones. Hug your mom. Shake your dad's hand. Call your brother. Email your sister. Telegram your cousin. Keep those relationships as uh, fresh as possible because it means means something when you take the time to reach out to someone. It really does. Always remember that. 73 episodes in. Congratulations to the 1973 New York Knicks. Shout Shout out to Walt Clyde Frazier. Thank you to each and every one of y'all to listen to this podcast. Also brought also brought to you by the marcrob.wordpress.com. Mark Rob, done by my semi-regular co-host Marcus Robinson, aka Showing Mad Love on Twitter. Just had an excellent piece about being tired. Tired of being exposed to uh, black struggle in the media. It's a really good piece. It's probably one of the best ones he's done yet. So check that out at themarkrob.wordpress.com. Hyphenpodcastgroup.com. And with all that said, thanks, y'all.